Warning! This episode of The Secret Cinema contains discussions of disturbing and adult content. So, heads up! Um, what's up, Joel? Uh, basically, we were, we were thinking... Uh, we were just, uh, thinking... Well, Rory had initially pointed out that uh, you guys are doing this deal with General Mills, and we just think that, uh, well, we were considering the idea... We think that maybe we should get a piece of it. And, uh, you know, so what we decided is, what everybody has decided is that if we don't, then what we're going to do is uh, we're going to... Uh, Hang on. You want a piece, right? Yeah. yeah. If we could. How about the whole goddamn company? Sure. You got it. Everybody gets the whole place. You guys run it, okay? Everybody's in charge, as of now. In fact, you guys can pay for the new conveyor belt and the lawsuit. You can go meet with Adler, okay? Might slam your balls in the door, but at least you'll be the boss. Okay? Woohoo! I turn my baby on to a hip thing called Secret Cinema. Oh, yeah. Left me wild-eyed and crazy for secrets in the mouth right now. I've seen the future, but it just don't phase me like secrets in the mouth. Oh, yeah. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Secret Cinema, the film podcast that prefers the batter to the baking. I'm Paolo Carone, my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and today we're joined by Will Ackland to discuss Mike Judge's 2009 small business satire, Extract. I don't have any notes, so here's Carrie with the plot summary. Joel is a small business owner, running his own extraction plant, until a bizarre workplace accident leaves one of his star employees injured. In steps Cindy, a con woman who sees the injured employee as her ticket, to big bucks. As Joel faces bankruptcy, he decides to get drunk with his BFF Dean and somehow makes the terrible decision of hiring a prostitute to seduce his wife. With his whole life out of balance, can Joel find a way to extract himself from this situation? As we note in the discussion, extract is in many ways the inverse of office space, focusing on the plight of the boss and business owner over that of the common working man. In our first clip, Joel talks with a manager, played by J.K. Simmons, about their disdain for their various underlings at the factory. How often do you hear this sort of attitude in a mainstream American film, let alone coming from characters we can, to a certain degree, empathize with? Here's that clip. Jesus, they're like a bunch of damn children, you know? I feel like a babysitter. Sorry I missed the drama this morning. I was showing boy genius down there how to back up a forklift. <laughs> Look at him. That's his whole career. You know, driving that damn forklift. You'd think he'd want to learn how. Well, he does have that band that he's involved in as well. <laughs> yeah, right, band. Bet you dollars to donuts he sucks at that, too. Then you got Dinkus down there. Who, Mary? No, no, the other one. What's her face? She asked me, or rather, asked me for more personal days. Just like that. I told her maybe if she figures out how to fill out her timesheets correctly, I will give her more personal days. Don't worry, she will never fill out her timesheets correctly. In previous episodes of The Secret Cinema, we've talked about the language and phrasing unique to conservative characters. 
While no one is explicitly labeled a conservative in this film, the milieu suggests a world not heavily populated by progressive, idealistic characters. With that in mind, consider our second clip, an exchange between Susie, played by Kristen Wiig, and her neighbor Nathan, played by David Koechner. What kind of social environment does this conversation suggest? Here's that clip. Hello? Shit. Why are you cleaning the pool yourself? New guy didn't work out. Yeah, no, didn't work out. Well, it's just hard to get good help, huh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, did you get a chance to write that check? Nathan, Joel and I are not going to that dinner, okay? Gee, I wish you would have told me that before I went and bought those tickets. Joel never agreed to it, and neither did I. Well, it sure sounded like you guys were coming. I mean, Leslie was gonna talk to you about it, but you don't return our calls. I mean, I already bought those tickets, and they're non-refundable. I really wish you guys had been a little more clear with me. Well, then, let me be clear with you now. When we say things like, I don't think so, or I'm not sure, or we close the door in your face, that means no. Why can't you get that? Well, it's- Shut up, okay? Let me be even more clear with you, Nathan. We don't like you. Is that clear enough for you? You're dull, you talk too much, you never listen. You're always in our yard. I don't know what the hell you're barbecuing over there, but it stinks. You lay out in your front yard and listen to your car radio. You are the worst neighbor in the world. We don't like you. Is that clear enough for you, Nathan? Is that clear? Finally, Extract features a rare supporting turn from Ben Affleck as Dean, Joel's closest friend, and he honestly delivers a solid comedic performance. In our final clip, Joel and Dean struggle to explain to Brad, a very dumb gigolo, that they are hiring him to seduce Joel's wife. Enjoy the clip, and we'll see you on the other side for our discussion of Extract. Seems pretty, pretty clear, right? I mean, it's $200, right? Yeah, 200 well, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm getting my 10%. Well, come on, Dean. What are you, you're a pimp now? I don't think they call it a pimp when it's with a male prostitute, Joel. All so right. They have another name for it. It's not a John, but it's something like that. They call it something else. Look, I'm the one who hooked this whole thing up. I get it. OK, and you have nothing to worry about because it all comes out of his money anyway. All right. Fine. So it's $200. Yep, 220 Yep. Dean? What? Uh, I have a question. Yep. So you, like, gonna watch or something? No, no. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not even gonna be there. I'm gonna be at work. You remember? We, we covered this. Didn't we cover this? Look, dude, here's the story. What, you, what you're gonna do is, you're just gonna go to Joel's house, okay? Pretending to be the new pool cleaner. When you get there, you will simply attempt to seduce Joel's wife. If she does not respond, you will simply clean the pool and leave. That's it. It's just that simple. So, you're not gonna, like, try to touch my ass or anything? Listen, he, he, he will be at work. You will go by when he is not there. And you will pose as the pool cleaner 
trying to seduce the wife. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I get it now. Yeah, it's I'm so sorry. simple. Cool. Yeah, you're not even gonna be there. No, That's... he will not be there. He will not be at the house. You will be at the house. The wife will be at the house. He will not not be, be at the house. Uh, uh, cool. No problem. We have a brand new guest this week. Guest, could you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Will Ackland, and I'm a person. Will Ackland! <laughs> well, Will, you are also the creator of our film discussion group that we discuss films in, and uh, it's the main thing that before we come to this podcast, Carrie and I usually try out our opinions and fringe theories on you and so we thought it'd be perfect to have you on the show well thank you for having me yeah that's right we have a little facebook discussion group called the pictures they're moving <laughs> <laughs> we just chit chat about mostly well i like to watch the big movies like star wars and you know anything that explodes and then you guys like to watch movies that are of quality so it's, it's good to discuss <laughs> or that things. nobody or else will watch it not always of quality <laughs> uh but i the thing i respect is everybody kind of watches everything in our, in it's our, a good mix. In our yeah. group. Well, and today we all watched the same thing, which is Mike Judge's film Extract. It's 2008, right? Yeah, the movie uh, it's is certainly... credited as being 2009. I definitely remember seeing it in college, so yeah. that sounds right. Just... As, as pointed out during the movie, uh, Mila Kunis is wearing jean miniskirts a lot, so it has to be somewhere in the mid to late 2000s. That's fair. But, okay, so we watched Mike Judge's Extract, and Carrie, you've seen this, this is your second time, uh, give us your basic reaction I to gotta it. go first? Yeah. Alright, well, I have to say, upon second viewing, I did not like this movie as much as I did the first time. I, uh, that was a heavy sigh, but I guess for me, I was, uh, kind of bored. I thought it was... The first time I saw it, I thought it was relatively funny, and I remember really liking Jason Bateman and Kristen Wiig and even Ben Affleck, but this time, because I knew what was going to happen, and I also am pretty familiar with Mike Judge's work, I felt like there wasn't anything to look forward to in the movie. There wasn't like a, a scene that really sticks out for me or that makes like a a very distinct impression on me it more was like i i'll say this i didn't think it was bad i just where would you rank it out of the four mike judge movies you've seen beavis and butthead do america right yeah um last you would say last your least favorite okay yeah yeah um because i really like office space and uh that movie still holds up and then I also really like Idiocracy, and that movie is just more and more relevant. And then Beavis and Butthead, like, you can't really go wrong. They're just goofy, goofy doofies. All right, well, okay, it's, uh, spoiler alert, you you and I have differing opinions on this movie, <laughs> but good. No, no, thank you. No, it'll be good, it'll be good to discuss I figured, this well, and I figured yeah. you guys probably, uh, like this movie. Well, Will, yeah, what's your, what is your feeling on this movie? So, I actually, with you, uh, Carrie, this this is the second time I've watched this movie. Uh, I had, I remember seeing the trailer back in college and thinking, oh, I, I always liked Jason Bateman because of Arrested Development, and this was 
one of the first, I don't know, I, I think Juno had come out before this. And I, you know, so I liked Jason Bateman movies. And so I thought, okay, I, I wanted to check it out. I never did until uh, we started talking about this for the podcast. Yeah, it really flew under the radar. I didn't yeah. see it until just recently either. And it wasn't until I was uh, looking into it that I realized it was even a Mike Judge movie. So, um, and, you know, like I love Office Space. I think Idiocracy is great. I, it's been a while since I saw Beavis and Butthead. I wasn't a huge King of the Hill fan, but I love Silicon Valley. Um, I, I think he had another TV show that like didn't hit at all for a hot second before Extract or something. I don't know. Oh, The Good Family. Yeah. Sure, if you say so. Yeah, <laughs> I believe you. But I liked I, I liked this movie the first time when I watched it. I thought it was cute. I thought it was kind of funny. I liked how it had a nice resolved ending and the way that it works out. I'm sure we'll talk about it as we get into more detail. Um, but I'm with you. The second time, it wasn't as charming as much but i do think there were some scenes that were memorable or funny or something like i really liked the whole uh neighbor bit with david kechner i thought yeah. all those scenes were great that that definitely holds up i thought uh the second time watching through because i was trying to pick up some some things to talk about for this i thought that um ben affleck i remember watching i was like oh my god i didn't even know that ben affleck was in this movie i thought that those scenes were really great um and i think they, they still held, held up the, the second time and all the scenes with brad the idiot gigolo oh, i thought those were great he so, is such a great sex idiot yeah. like to borrow a term from 30 rock but he is so good at being just like a <laughs> yeah i wrote down sex idiot also <laughs> it was like that's that there's the perfect term for what Eddie, his character is. he looks like a sex yeah. idiot oh my gosh yeah i thought he would i do i i i will agree with you i thought there were some really great performances but all in all like the, even the people <laughs> who did well in this movie and I would even argue Jason Bateman does a great job, but there wasn't anything, like, remarkable about any of it. You know, it was very, I hate to say this, but for me, it was, like, very, like, TV. <laughs> I agree. I agree. No, like, I mean, so maybe if I watched this movie, if I, if I took a year off and saw this movie again, maybe I'd find a little bit more charm out of it. But, yeah, it, it certainly seemed to just, it doesn't even drag. I mean, it's a tight 90 minute movie. Oh, yeah. It's pretty great, actually, if you, considering, I mean, you look at Judd Apatow. I like some <laughs> of those movies, but good God. Yeah. Like, get a fucking editor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, you can swear. That's great. fine. Thank yeah. you for clearing that. <laughs> yeah. You can do whatever you like. I'm dropping If we don't like it, we'll just edit it out. Perfect. <laughs> well, or we won't edit it out and you'll be embarrassed later. <laughs> well, okay, what so, do you think about this, Paula? Yeah, Paula, your turn. Time to do And that's, this is why I'm really excited for this discussion because I would say that I, I don't think this is his most interesting movie, but I would say this is definitely Mike Judge's best movie. What? In terms of screenplay, in terms of cohesiveness, and scene-by-scene scene consistency. Uh, I, the the uh. directing's not anything exciting, but I, I mean, I love Idiocracy, but Idiocracy is sloppy. And Office Space is really sloppy. And mm. Beavis and Butthead is great, but it's very, it's aiming very low. And this is Mike Judge essentially trying to create a main a more mainstream movie than Idiocracy because of the debacle that happened with Idiocracy trying to get released. And so he is trying to rein in his ideas and uh, he has he clearly has an audience in mind. And watching through, I've, this is my third time seeing it. I saw it when it was first out in theaters and I was alone. I was the only person in the theater when I saw this. <laughs> and when I saw it back in college, I honestly did not get it. And when we rewatched it a couple months ago, the thing that made me want to cover it on the podcast was because it struck me, considering that it's focusing on this like uh, upper middle class small business owner played by Jason Bateman, 
and most of the plot revolves around like these women who like create problems for him and these men who work for him were idiots and how like he's like this it's there's almost this sort of like fiefdom <laughs> that he's like working in he has to obey his serfs well it's not as much that he has to obey them as that he just like they're stupid and he knows what's right and he has to it seems it's that sort of it, and so when i first watched when we rewatched it i was like oh this is this movie is conservative this is essentially what I would stereotypically think is a conservative point of view being represented in a mainstream comedy and not in an in-your-face way, but in a subtle way that, I don't know, that normalizes the stuff enough. But re-watching it now, I don't see it as a conservative comedy, but rather a movie that, because of the focus of it and because of the way it's approached, is a movie that a conservative or a business owner or um, a lot of things were a lot of, yeah, a lot of things that we wouldn't associate with like liberal characteristics. You could, you can see yourself in this movie a lot easier. And as a white guy, there's a lot of stuff in this where it's like, yeah, I totally get what this, how this movie would speak to them and how it could speak to me. And just in terms of like, um, I, I, I've never run a small business, but I've directed movies and I've had to be in control of a bunch of people. Yeah, you've had to wrangle people. And so I can relate to it as a liberal from that point of view. But I also, if you're a small business owner who um, it's it's your job is more important than your wife and stuff like that, you could also relate to this. And I, I don't mean to be so glib about conservatives. <laughs> I, I honestly can't help it. But... Uh, I'm just, I'm trying to say it seems to be the most conservative film I've seen that doesn't seem to be intentionally trying to sway a conservative audience to it. Yeah, there's like no political tone to this movie. Yeah. And so that's, it's, it's still interesting. There's a lot of stuff I want to get into relating to that. But yeah, that's, I, that's honestly, that's a big reason why this is my favorite of his because that sort of political subtext, incidental or otherwise, is interesting and it's you we're usually talking about failed liberal politics on the show <laughs> and so it's kind of interesting to see conservative politics or things that at least conservatives can identify with being done well and not like rules of engagement where it's seemingly like ignoring like large swaths of the population but it's still like yeah it's a movie about essentially a rich guy and his rich guy problems but it grounds it in day-to-day -day realities and i don't know i like that but i think that's spot on although i mean so i am a flaming liberal and i would say i mean how is this a conservative movie the guy doesn't sell his business so he can be rich and fuck all of his employees that doesn't make sense at yeah. all <laughs> now if you mean conservative with us lowercase yeah C, okay yeah, that's that's what i mean yeah <laughs> Did I just want to say that to take a dig at Republicans? You're goddamn right. Yeah. That's true. Oh, yeah. And uh, we dig at Republicans all the time on this podcast. <laughs> but it just, it, that's the, it's still, like, it's so, I, the movie I always think of when I think of, like, oh, a con, like a conservative with a capital C movie is, like, Dinesh D'Souza movies, where it's those documentaries about how Obama is going to personally murder every person in the country. <laughs> something like that. You have like a personal vendetta against that guy because you had to clean the theater after that movie so many times. Oh my god, yeah. When I worked at a Megaplex, when I think it was Obama's America was playing and the old women in the movie, the theater while I was cleaning would be like, I hope you learned something, young man, from that movie. That man was very smart and he knew what he was talking about. And so it's, it's, it's so strange to see 
movie that even comes close to that point of view that is bearable. That is something I can, like, I don't hate any part of this movie. There's parts I don't think are perfect. Yeah, I don't yeah. hate any part of this movie. There wasn't any... I, I guess I should go back, because I what I said was I didn't like this movie as much as the first time I saw it. And I stand by that. But this is by no means a bad movie, an unenjoyable movie, a long movie, a boring movie. It's not any of those things. It, it Like you said, Will, it's really tight. It goes fast just for me like all all of what i enjoyed about the first experience of watching it i didn't get out of the second experience of watching it yeah that's the interesting though, thing though. so maybe it's just that this movie doesn't have the rewatchability which i don't think that's a word but <laughs> i think it is. uh if it, i my rule about that is if you understand what i'm saying then it's a word <laughs> but <laughs> Um, you know, like, Office Space, you can watch that dozens of times, and for me, it's, like, still funny. Like, the scene, every time they beat up that printer with the baseball bats, it's hilarious. Well, but do you think, though, that's because Office Space and, I'll extend it to Idiocracy, both have somewhat of a catharsis that you can identify well, with? Well, and I wonder also if it's, I like those movies because I am more in the employee role than yeah. the employer role. And maybe that's why I didn't really enjoy Extract the second time around. Because it is, like you, you were saying before we started the movie that Mike Judge made this as like a companion piece to Office Space, but he did it from the boss perspective. Maybe that's why I just uh, can't get behind it as much. I definitely watched the movie through that, watching this, this the second time, through that prism, just trying to find things. Maybe I'm drawing wisps of things that aren't really there, but I, tr I tried to write down like who I thought kind of lined up with people. Like You look at Jason Bateman just like what the heck his name is in, in Office Space. Oh, um... Livingston. Yeah. Ron Livingston, I think is, is the actor's name. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I honestly, remember. I always think of it. This <laughs> is guy. so, this is all so I can specific. Think is, hi, but... hi. That's all I can think. <laughs> but he... I always think of him. This is really specific, but he was on like a few episodes of Sex and the City. He's the boyfriend who breaks up with Carrie Bradshaw with the Post-it note. But his last name on the show is Burger, so I just always think of him as Burger. It is Ron Livingston. Anyway, but I think of him, so he's, in Office Space, he's like this disillusioned guy, and he's sort of just going through the motions. I wouldn't say that Jason Bateman's this disillusioned guy uh, going through the motions per se, but he kind of is, like, with his, his relationship with his wife, Kristen Wiig, and, you know, the office, or, you know, the factory, and he's got all these idiots, and he's got, you know, his... Uh, assistant guy in J.K. Simmons, and we should talk about how deep this movie is with how many great actors. Are yeah, in this yeah. Movie. So I mean, you want to talk off the like everyone in this or, movie yeah. now has been nominated for an Oscar, right? Yeah, Kristen Wiig, J.K. Simmons, yeah. Ben Affleck directed a Best Picture winner <laughs> since we had this movie. T.J. Miller hosts the Critic Choice Awards. Oh yeah, <laughs> the sky's the limit. <laughs> I mean, I, I like David Koechner in this movie. Oh, God. Um, yeah. But anyway. Well, in uh, Hal Sparks is at the beginning, and Nick Thune. Nick Thune, and Gary Cole has a cameo in this movie. Where was he? I, is he, like, voiceover or something? I didn't see him, but I, I think he's in the bar scenes. Alright. But yeah, he's he's got a cameo. Gary Gary Cole plays the, the boss. Bill in, Lumberg. Yeah, in Office Hi. Space. 
pot. Yeah, I'm gonna need you yeah. to fill out those TS. Yeah, hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and and Clifton Collins Jr. is in this, and he aka is... Clifton Gonzalez Gonzalez, star of the Wonderful Ice Cream Suit, which <laughs> we just watched a couple days ago. Which. Please, everyone, watch that movie. It was so enjoyable. Yeah. I really liked it. It's like it. the best family movie I've seen in a long Yeah, time. definitely a kid's movie, but it's about five grown... Let them find out for themselves. Well, okay, yeah. Well, we, we, we haven't heard from you in a while. So, so the, what, I guess what I was... <laughs> I was trying to get back to, like, the, the wisps of what I compared this to Office Space. So you've got Jason Bateman is your disillusioned guy. You've got... I mean, J.K. Simmons kind of fits in the, in the two different things. He's like Michael Bolton in the sense that he's like a... Uh, a compatriot of of Jason Bateman's character in that you know you know lamenting the same kind of things you know we yeah. have all these yeah dinkuses who are working on the, <laughs> on the field you know in the but way like that, they have to change not me right right so, yeah same way with Mike Bolton but he's also like you know he wants to sell out just as much as, as Jason Bateman does yeah. throughout most of this movie with the whole you know General Mills is going to buy our extract company and that's kind of like the the jump to conclusions guy you know he's like <laughs> I'm just trying to get out of here yeah <laughs> so he's just you know this old guy grizzly just he's seen it all and he's like all right, these idiots type yeah. of thing. I also thought what was interesting is like, so David Kecker kind of is like this eccentric rambling guy, kind of like Milton is. Milton's the, the stapler, yeah. stapler guy. He's this like... Oh yeah, and everyone thinks he dies at the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Although, yeah, as we know in the end of Office Space, he burns down the whole building and he's sitting on the on the yeah. beach. You know, right. He, want, he, want, he wanted but, no fault on the rim. Yeah, yeah. but David Kecker actually dies. <laughs> right. Spoiler alert. Oh, man. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> well, if you, you know, if, yeah. if, you if listen, you're listening, you know. yeah, you, you don't care about the <laughs> But they're both like this eccentric, rambling person. You know, Milton Wadhams, played by Stephen Root, just continues to talk and people are like, oh, Okay, well that's yeah. great, Milton. You have a... same thing with David Koechner. Yeah. He, keeps, he keeps interrupting Jason Bateman, and, and like at one point, one of the funny things he hops a fence like he's a freaking hurdler <laughs> to stop Jason Bateman in his, in his BMW from driving up. Yeah. <laughs> he's like full stops. He's like if Milton was weaponized, right? Exactly. Yeah, we're taller. <laughs> but he, but he even but even too, he has like that sort of. You see the glasses he's got the same time the same type that Gary Cole has. As as Lumberg, and he talks sort of this slow. I won't take up too much of your time, and then he proceeds to take up well, too much. Well, you know, we wanted to talk there about fifty five dollars a plate. Yeah, <laughs> you know, where you go, one. He's very sort of methodical and just like aggravating. In you, you can understand why Jason Bateman hates him in the same way that you can understand why Rod Lundstedt hates Gary Cole's character. And then the other last little thread I had. Well, there are two. I guess Ben Affleck is like I forget the actor's name, but. Ron Livingston in Office Space. He lives in his apartment. And it's next door oh, neighbor. Uh, it, oh, oh, what's his name? Dietrich Bader. Um, isn't it the guy from Lawrence. the Drew Carey it's show? Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he just bangs on the, on the wall. <laughs> hey, and Peter man. And yeah. so in that in Office Space, he that character is basically like this almost like spiritualist guide guide for for Ron Livingston's character, especially as it comes to women. <laughs> hey, you're going to Channel Ten. There's tits on Channel Ten. Type of thing. And in the same way, Ben Affleck is is you know his spiritual advisor. He's almost his penis advisor for Jason Bateman. Yeah. Oh, you definitely just you know he teach him about what a gigolo is and he, he cites all of these spiritualistic and uh, things and trying to heal him through the power of drugs and yeah. <laughs> I mean how many drugs has Ben Affleck named he talks about the healing powers of Xanax codeine cough syrup obviously he's serving him alcohol because he's a bartender at the horse bar tranquilizers. horse tranquilizers spe yeah. special okay. K yeah. right. Weed. right I mean Affleck is all over the place with this yeah you know at the end I realized that Ben Affleck's character 
Which, does he ever get a name in the movie? Oh, I think it's Dean? I think it's Dean. Okay. Dean. Ugh, what a name. Um, anyway, Dean is the catalyst for the whole movie. Well, I would say the catalyst of the whole movie, I mean, depending on how far we want to put it back, is that Jason Bateman and Kristen Wiig, instead of talking to each other about how sexually frustrated they are, they have both separately decided to, like, internalize that frustration, oh, yeah. leading, which is the setup of every... A it's cheating the, it's, story ever. It's like, the idiot plot. Yeah. And, well, no, but this well, is. Well, but a, if they talk to each other. But it's that idiot plot because that's kind of the point. Is yeah. that he he cares so much more about his business and he's so much more attentive to his business than his relationship that that's what causes his life to when his personal life falls apart, then his business falls apart. So could you actually say that like Cindy is the catalyst? No, because either way. Uh, Jason Bateman. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of. It's like there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, it's there's a couple things. That, it's not like oh, this one thing happens and then we're in the plot. It's a a couple. There's a couple steps. It's not the one big action because they both stop talking to each other at some point before the movie. I totally disagree. What? There's one thing that sets this whole movie apart, and that's when with the accident. The accident shoot, shoots uh, right. what's his face's balls off. That puts <laughs> that puts Jason Bateman under the pressure that oh no, he might, you know, bankrupt the company. I'm trying to get this sale thing. That's going to create trouble. When he's talking with Dean And that's that is how the Cindy thing, enters the picture. Right. Too, yeah. he, he's talking with with Ben Affleck and about, you know, oh, I'm going to have all these problems. Like, oh, you need a drink. And like, oh, you know, you need some Xanax. Oh, you need some special Okay. Oh, you need to and get then, laid. Yeah. yeah, and then so some of these like precursor issues of I get home and she's got her sweatpants tied super tight yeah. and <laughs> uh, can't well, get some. I guess just what I'm arguing is that he, what I I feel like when I watch the movie, and at least this is what I think my judge is trying to say, is that if Jason Bateman had been able to come before the accident, before Cindy shows up, he would have handled it differently. And because he is so distracted, because I, the way I assumed was that the business is the most important thing, and so everything outside of running the business is a thing he just needs to run automatically. It's why he doesn't have time for his neighbor, and it's why like his he and his wife they still can talk, but they don't have this like intimate relationship because it's like, oh good, you're doing your own thing, you're working at home, I'm at work all day, cool, we'll see each other, we'll say hi, and because of. It, it, I, I don't know. It seems like, especially because at the end, the movie is ultimately the the cl God the climax of the movie. <laughs> and, and Jason Bateman finally has sex and comes because he can't masturbate apparently during this movie. Uh, and once that happens, he gets a good night's sleep and he comes into work and he's like, "Here's this problem solved. And this problem solved." So and the the driving force behind this movie is ejaculation. Yeah, is that well, the driving force? Could life? that? Could you argue that that's the driving force behind well, all of Mike Judge's? It could the driving be. force between everything in life, Carrie. Oh, yeah. Well, I hate enough. to I hate to say it, but I took a moment to think about the extract metaphor, the vanilla extract. And I was thinking about the scene where he's he's saying like he, where Mila Kunis is asking him about how he got into well Cindy Mila Kunis the character she's asking Joel about how he got involved with extract and he's talking about how his mom made these cookies but he thought the batter tasted so much better than the baking and I was like okay it's extract oh, it's batter I, like instead of being made he likes the 
The act. The act. Like, the act of assembly rather than the act of creation, I guess. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's an imperfect metaphor. But my point is, it seems like the fact that he runs an extract company is, to a certain degree, a, a, like, a subtextual metaphor for the fact the, that he needs to come. That he needs to extract... <laughs> some juice from himself. He's so eloquent. <laughs> it's, it's kind of embarrassing to say out loud, but it's like, I, I was like, I, I don't know, I wouldn't put it past my judge to do something like that. It's, I mean, if you want to go with that, I mean, how many times do we see that the extract factory just gets stopped up and just, you know, yeah, sometimes like, like a little like bit, explodes you know, explodes, yeah. Yeah. Breaks. It creates issues. Shoots a guy's balls off. It's actually not that yeah. far off. Yeah, actually, wow, well, yeah. <laughs> and then caps oh, wow. by one of the greatest cameos I've ever seen, Gene Simmons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the king of the family jewels himself. <laughs> Who comes in and, oh my god, is he not, like, just amazing? He is, like, focused he was and great. professional it's the best. and aggressive and direct. He's it's so the best great. role for Gene Simmons. Like, yeah. I, I read <laughs> like brooding and I read that the trivia so he plays the lawyer that um, the guy who gets his balls shot off uh, hires but I read that his character is based so his character's name in the movie is Joe Adler and he's based on a real lawyer from like California who had bench ads whose name was Jim Adler Jeez. <laughs> so close that would be if... like if someone from Michigan named a lawyer uh Sam like, Brownstein. Yeah, Sam Brownstein. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of a different name than Sam, but yeah, you got yeah. it. Sam Brownstein. So that that's interesting. I spent a disproportionate amount of time trying to figure out where and when this movie was taking place. And if you if I may, I would like to yeah, read I some love this. <laughs> now, I love this. We discussed it early on in the movie. Gosh, and this kind of goes back to, you know, maybe he's not taking care of his wife itself. It does seem like Chris always trying. He's coming home at eight PM. That seems pretty late. Yeah. Really home. late. I know it's a factory and I know that you're running the place and maybe you're trying to sell this this place, but this is pretty early and he's you can't get home before eight o'clock. It seems a little strange. But we've noticed how bright it was outside. Yeah. And so, Carrie, you said, oh, it's got to be like California. And I think that probably makes sense. I was looking at <clears throat> driver's licenses. <laughs> wow. now, Mila Kunis is a con artist, and she has multiple Yeah, she had one from Ohio. Kansas, yeah. Ohio, and Arkansas. Trust me, I looked. <laughs> um, now, I was looking at the license plates. They're kind of ambiguous. Uh, I can't, it came down to two possibilities. Now, before I get down to where, how I figured out those two possibilities, some other context, please. <laughs> One of the main places beyond the factory and and Jason Bateman's house is this bar where Ben... Yeah, ben sidelines. Which is at, like, a Marriott. Okay, so we're talking a Marriott. <laughs> this town is big enough to have, like, a full Marriott. There's also a Best Western. <laughs> right, but, like... You know, one of the mainstay bars yeah. is at the bar at the hotel. Not sure what that exactly means. Maybe mm. I'm just reading too much into it. But we definitely thought, like, okay, it's got to be southern for the weather and the sunlight. But it's not so much of a hot place because Kristen Wiig says, you know, don't you want to go to the Caribbean? You know, don't you like to wear your shorts? That yeah. type of thing. So it can't be, like, you know, really maybe southern California. Here's where I came down to. In the newspaper, when uh, Mila Kunis <laughs> is reading about Shep getting his balls blown off and there could be a million-dollar settlement and all this stuff, there are references in another article to a town called Clovis. <laughs> yes, I went this deep. There are, to my knowledge, two... That was a really good Paolo giggle. He does not giggle like that very awesome, often. No. So you get some yeah. major points for that. There are two towns called Clovis that I could find. Now, I didn't look to see where they are on the map because I didn't think it mattered, but they're either in California or in New Mexico. 
And New Mexico is a possibility because oh. Mike Judd is from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah. Mm. But like I said, the license plates, New Mexico is like a pretty white and like yellowish greenish. Well, and everyone had a pool. So that makes more sense about New Mexico. Which then makes you wonder, how does this tie into Breaking Bad? But is <laughs> <laughs> Joe Adler no Saul Goodman? I don't know. That's well, yeah. I did find out that Mike Judge is good friends with Seth MacFarlane and the South Park guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, um, in the South Park movie, Mike Judge voices Kenny. Huh. No way! Kenny has, like, one line at the end of the movie when he takes off his hood and you see Kenny's face for the first time, but it's Mike Judge talking. Weird. And, yeah, I mean, they all, they, they're all, uh, creators of important animated shows around the same time, so they yeah. have to be. I remember, I, actually, also, in the South Park episode where... Uh, where uh, Cartman fights both Family Guy and Bart. There's a scene where it's like a parody of the Family Guy chicken fight scene where Cartman and Bart are like fighting and they break through a wall into the animation studios for King of the Hill and it says like, congratulations, King of the Hill on like whatever accomplishment King of the Hill at that time (laughs) and then they just leave the room. It's like, (laughs) yeah, they they clearly get along really well with those guys. But yeah, I mean, how could anyone have anything against King of the Hill anyway? It's, like, a pretty agreeable show. Yeah. Oh, I found out some really crazy trivia about King of the Hill versus Beavis and Butthead, which Mike Judge had to, like, agree with MTV to let them make Daria a spinoff from Beavis Beavis and Butthead, which, did you know that Daria was on Beavis and Butthead? (laughs) No, I didn't know. She... I had no idea I, that that's how she I started. I had never watched enough Beavis and Butthead. I watched a lot of Daria, and I had yeah, no idea. Yeah, I've seen more Daria than Beavis mm-hmm. and Butthead, yeah. But yeah, so he had to, like, give MTV the rights to make a show about Daria in order to leave Beavis and Butthead to do King of the Hill. Hmm, man. Because he, because it was like a network battle thing, where he was on MTV, and Fox wanted him, and they were like, you know, yeah. fighting. Oh, and by the way, since we're kind of talking about his TV shows really quick, The Good Family, that show that you guys were like, I guess it exists. Doesn't have an extra E on the end? Yes. The thing with The Good Family, and this is kind of why I was I was leaning into this with talking about Extract before, is that The Good Family is a satire of liberal politics. Like, far left politics. Hence, the family being called The Good Family. Oh. It's like that level of satire where it's like very... Did you blatant. ever watch it? I never watched it. I read um, Nathan Rabin did a my my year of flops or my world of flops article about it, and it basically said it's like sledgehammer subtle satire of like liberal do goody causes, and so yeah, it's Mike Judge's shows uh, like King of the Hill. I've heard a lot of people say it's like Simpsons for the South. It's like extremely relatable to anybody who gets who's from that area that it's based in but the good family is him trying to be flat out political like he's not necessarily saying that liberals are stupid but he's like critiquing a very specific i bet he's smart about it i it got canceled fast oh so it was not even like a cult success i mean to be fair there are a lot of things to make fun of for liberals oh absolutely but i guess i guess he just didn't do it we can't seem to get anything done he didn't do it like even beavis and butthead which was a satire of like 
90s kids uh, is basically like still even handed. You don't. Oh, I found out that. <laughs> you hate Beavis and Butthead. I found out that Beavis is is uh, inspired by someone that Mike Judge actually knew. It was like a 12 year old neighbor of his <laughs> who challenged people to like hurt him or like punch him in the butt and he could just take it. <laughs> I wonder if. You- what so if 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 they're can you imagine being like a 12 year old boy and be like yeah just just fucking punch me in the butt i could take it like do it again it's like pretty uh... it sounds like gene from bob's burgers type of thing. <laughs> like yeah definitely so i i wanted to go in kind of talk about your your uh take that it's a conservative type of a movie it's sort of it's conservative friendly yeah yeah well i i kind of agree and don't I think I think it's, it tells the story of the struggle of managing the business, right? So that's kind of the how it makes it the flip of Office Space. Office yeah. Space, we see the menial job that Ron Livingston does, or Peter Gibbons, I think, is his character, and he just you know all, he just presses a uh, thing and takes a little bit of this and that, and he doesn't do anything uh, that, and he feels disillusioned about his job. The other way with J- Jason Bateman being at his, you know, there, there's a scene where the company realize or the, the employees realize that oh we're gonna uh, you know sell off we're about to lose our job we want a piece of that money and so they say okay we want to unionize and, and jason bateman comes down and he says oh yeah you want to do that you have to deal with these things that are broken you have to deal with these idiot peoples you have to deal with this lawsuit you want it have it it's all yours and then ultimately as we know it, it turns out he decides well maybe i should just keep it and you know continue and doing that yeah. but i thought it was crazy how out of touch he was like you yeah. see him like, one of the, my favorite things when i first watched the movie uh, I thought like it was actually pretty like beautiful the whole like process of look at of you know this this factory you know moving these bottles through and you know packaging them all all, all this stuff I guess I, I don't know in IMDb I think it tells you that uh, they actually use an actual factory and so some of that yeah. they were actually like doing bottling for whatever the heck they were actually bottling mm-hmm. so, uh, use part of that as a footage but I thought it was like almost like Food Network. Or you know how it gets made type of video of just showing all this this packaging. Oh but, yeah. So you see this like Jason maybe walking walking through and everybody knows him and, and he's you know he does know everybody's name unlike J.K. Simmons but he's so out of touch he's so rich that he in his house which as Carrie you said has the longest driveway in the history of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> He uh, he drives a he brags about his seven series BMW. I checked into that. That runs about eighty five thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! You uh, did so much research. I did so much research in this movie. <laughs> my favorite my favorite bit uh, was that he doesn't use all of the bathrooms in his house. Remember oh yeah, about, that was about, so stupid. He can only masturbate in one room, but it's good the TV. And if he doesn't use any other bathrooms, shoot, no. Yeah, can you imagine living with someone and it's like if you use a specific bathroom, then they know you're up to no good, right. or like they know that. You you are doing some crazy shit. How do I nicely say, like, if I had a house that had so many bathrooms that I, I like, didn't use some of the bathrooms, obviously I would have, <laughs> this bathroom is dedicated for this activity. <laughs> this bathroom is dedicated for that activity. Right. etc. <laughs> I take baths in this bathroom, but showers in this bathroom. Indeed. Also, I mean, again, and this might be too much, but he's a grown man. How hard and how long does it take for him to masturbate? Like, like, is it that complicated where you can't even just be like, I'm going to take a quick shower and then like go in the shower or just stand in the bathroom and jerk off while the shower's on? Like, it's a full, it's a huge house. And if, if the TV is always on too, do a little TV I, while she's watching TV. Well, it sounded like from the context of the conversation that because the TV was on, he couldn't masturbate. Because he's thinking about his wife. Well, because yeah. he kept hearing Dancing with the Stars and he was like, this is such a boner killer. 
Oh, that, was was that, my inter- that was my interpretation. I thought the implication was just that it's like, oh, well, I know my wife is I mean, around. to be honest, I, they have a terrible relationship where he can't tell his wife, hey, I want to have sex with you. Yeah. I wish you would stop wearing sweatpants after 8 p.m. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> actually, that's something I want to talk about. I want to talk about Kristen Wiig's character. Like, her sort of arc. Or lack thereof. Well, uh, yeah, she's not the most developed character, but... It's really rare in a movie where a character is, like, set up to cheat that the character is portrayed almost entirely sympathetically. And I don't think, to even in a movie where the, the, the protagonist is not the woman who cheats, she is portrayed very fairly. And it's, it's, she cheats because, uh, she doesn't cheat because she pursues an option. Her husband literally provides her an option, unbeknownst to her, but she's also... Like I but said, maybe she, that's why he depicted her sympathetically is because otherwise he's vilifying her for cheating, but not vilifying Jason Bateman for setting her up to cheat. No, I know. Exactly. And I'm saying this, this isn't like an amazing achievement. It's a very low bar to clear. <laughs> but he, Mike Judge in this conservative friendly movie clears the bar of portraying oh, yeah. the main character's wife as a woman who's like, yeah, I wasn't getting let you weren't fucking me and uh, a handsome dumb guy showed up <laughs> and tried to seduce me and so I was like, well yeah, my husband's not gonna do this and then she clearly instantly feels guilty about it because that night after she sleeps with the pool boy for the first time, when she's having dinner with Joel, she says, she try, she talks about the going to the Caribbean. That's when she's like, maybe we go on the vac- vacation, just the two of us, like we used to. And then the next time we see her, she's wear, she's not wearing the sweatpants anymore. She, I don't know if you noticed, she's wearing like a cleavage-bearing top. She's mm. like, really feels guilty enough where she's trying to get, she's trying to get his attention. Her cheating on him makes her feel guilty. Yeah. And even though we don't spend a lot of time with her, we see that guilt come through and her costume changes and her general behavior and the fact that even though her husband is being a huge dick, she's still like, is there something wrong and trying to take care of him? Yeah, that's Be- a good yeah. point. And so, I don't know. I just thought that was like really nice to I, see that. Honestly, I think, so I'm not a big Kristen Wiig fan. I don't <gasps> find her terribly funny, but I do think just kind of seeing what she's done Recently, I, not even that I watched it, but seeing what her, her career choice is, I think she's actually a pretty good actress. Yeah. She does a pretty great job in this, especially sort of showing that feeling guilty or suspicious when Jason Bateman comes in and he's looking at the pool and he's like, how about that pool boy? Pool doesn't look very clean. <laughs> and she's like all nervous. And But she does a pretty, a pretty bang up job. So, I mean, honestly, even the movie sort of portrays her as she's the one who's guarding him from his vagina to fuck with her, you know, super tight sweatpants. When in reality, yeah, like, Jason Bateman's probably the one who's, who's got the issue. Like, yeah. maybe if you talk to your wife, yeah. you don't, you know, work until 8 o'clock at night and, you know, get well, hungover. And, and it is so weird well, and they do that. how often movies will use couples not talking to each other as a plot device. Well, I just don't understand that. Like, if you're in a relationship with someone... Shouldn't you talk to them, like, but every this, day? But this comes up, I mean, I we always talk about... I know, about this the, is just my, like, talk, personal... Any, anytime there's, like, an anonymous relationship thing on the internet, I read it, and every complaint is like, I can't, I can't talk to my girlfriend about this. What should I do, everybody else in the world? <laughs> like, it's, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really frustrating, but if it's portrayed believably, and these characters are definitely supposed yeah, to be schmucks... Yeah, he does a good job with it, yeah. Well, oh, man, I just had another thing I wanted to bring up... But going off what you said about Kristen Wiig, I thought that she, I think she has like kind of a natural charisma and she definitely brought it to this role. 
But I know what you mean. There's been movies I've watched with her where I'm like, your natural charisma is working against you. When she likes to play crazy people. Which yeah, is that's really... kind of her typecast right now. But if, like the movies where she's best is stuff like this or Bridesmaids, where she's playing a very grounded, like realistic person with, like an reali- anti-hero. with realistic problems, not like <laughs> Welcome to Me, which I think of as like the yeah, the and that's end. the one I was thinking yeah. of. That movie yeah. is so frustrating. Yeah. In that movie, in Welcome to Me, she wins the lottery and then decides to make her own public television show. And so it's just like her doing whatever she wants on the public television show. But she's like a crazy person. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, I just remembered the thing I wanted to bring up about her character in Extract. Um, the, uh, continuing the like deepening of her character, the subtle deepening of her character, is the fact that when, she, when uh, Joel comes home for the first time, we first meet her, uh, he's been working at this factory and it's his dream and everything. It's like exactly what he wants to do and it's what he's good at and it's his. That's the key thing. Whereas she, they talk about her being an artist, but instead of actually doing any kind of art, she's designing coupons at home. And so, yeah. well, he's at, he's away from her getting to do all this stuff that is a lot, but it's essentially what he wants to do. She is trapped at home doing, like, the less satisfying version of what she would actually be doing. And she's doing it alone. And so, yeah, it's like kind of the thing where it's like, and then also her husband comes home and he's been at work all day. He's been there super late. He's probably not like being like, if he comes home after a certain point, he's just like, well, clearly she doesn't want to have sex. So at a certain point, something must've happened where she I don't know, there's, like, some other, there's, it just suggests an even deeper history of miscommunication, but she does have this, like, clear life of disappointment and loneliness that when the pool boy's introduced, it's, like, obviously we're not saying, like, oh, yeah, of course she should cheat, but it makes sense. And as a flawed character, it's very <coughs> believable. That's a great point, but I think that probably maybe, that, that's probably one of the problems with the movie is that... She has this thing, but it seems glib and just like, oh, by the way, yeah, well, I'm just designing coupons, so life isn't great for me either. Yeah. But we don't really... Yeah, there's no personal agency yeah. there. Yeah, and there's no ownership. Like, she just happens to be a character who happens to be in the movie. I feel like David Kector makes a bigger influence on this. And honestly, this mo- the through line of this movie is it starts with Mila Kunis ripping off the, the guitar. It <laughs> ends with Mila Kunis ripping off Gene Another Simmons with, yeah. with a Porsche. So, you know... I, I I don't know. I think Kristen Wiig kind of got left behind. I don't know. I don't even think oh, it's yeah. her either. I think it's just like uh, part yeah. of the, the her character. Yeah, her character is is the. Uh, I mean, to to simplify her character. I know I just defended her character a lot, but her character is the like you said, the vagina that is keeping Joel from release. But, and but as flatteringly depicted as that simplistic of a character could be, I sure, guess really, which I think is a credit to yeah. her. Yeah, she definitely, I mean, and we talked about, you talked about her reactions, just like any point where Jason Bateman comes in and was like, oh, the pool guy, and they'll show her face, and she underplays it so well, and the scene where, uh, where Dave Keckner dies, and it's like, sh- her turning away from his coffin, and having that look on her face of like, ooh, uh, like that, not sadness, not fear, but just like this perfect like shrug of a look <laughs> that mm. is just like so it's so perfectly underplayed yeah she she definitely beefed up her own role like with her performance mm. so i, I want to talk about maybe two or three other people just like how do we think about how they did let's start with an easy one t 
T.J. Miller. <laughs> so, you have to understand, when I, when I saw T.J. Miller, I was like, oh my god, I forgot about what he used to look like. Yeah. Right now, he's on Silicon Valley, he's like, I think we said during the movie, yeah. he looks like how Ben Affleck in this movie looks, <laughs> yeah. like, plus like 120 pounds. He's got long he's, hair, he's got a he's beard. Like he's like hot shit right now. He was just in that terrible office party. That was a pretty entertaining Chris, movie. I actually, did you see it? I did. Oh, I, I actually think like he's a really good actor. He's very good at it. I, I believe you, but... It was set here in Chicago, and we we were like, "Oh no, uh, it's pretty damn silly." It's <laughs> it's it seemed like it was barely a movie. Is it barely a movie? Uh, yeah. It's like an excuse to just have fun and trash it. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, that, okay, yeah. Then that that sounds like it would be fun to watch. But I think I mean this is before T.J. Miller definitely. I mean Silicon Valley blew him up. He had a great little spot in Deadpool. He's been in other stuff before that, but I think around this time he was in another movie called She's Out of My League. Oh yeah, which He's is a movie the by Jay Baruchel in Deadpool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like at this in this movie, he is this tatted up, lots of you know piercings on his face, black he's, hair, black hair, shaved on some sides. He's got, yeah, he's and he's in these death metal bands. And Paulo, could you please tell me what the name of some of those bands are? There was God's Cock, <laughs> and the much more accessible band Fighthead. Wow, yes. Fighthead. It said he said there was like he's in four or five bands. I didn't hear the other ones, but yeah, God's Cock was the one that got said the most. Honestly. I would say his character is probably my least favorite part of this movie because the the I, I didn't hate it, but it was the most obvious satirical target. It, it sure was, like, was jarring. The, the metalhead is like it does it, it really doesn't fit in, but at the same time, it's like yeah, absolutely. There's a guy like that at most of those small businesses. For like sure. they're not those guys don't get hired to work like big corporate jobs. They're like <laughs> they get hired to work in a factory and yeah, a forklift operator that mostly just crashes the forklift operator. Yeah. <laughs> the forklift, yeah. Uh, so other people, are, so. What did you guys think of Mila Kunis? She, this is, I mean, I think this has happened after Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So it's like, she is a very well-known commodity. I mean, she obviously everybody knows her originally from That 70s Show. But, I mean, before she was, like, this, like, magnetic movie star, I I, I, can't, I didn't even know she was in this movie. And she's yeah. the, the, the title screen uh, on Netflix when you go and click on the thing. So, oh, she is? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I, when I think of extract, I always thought of the logo extract, and I think of Jason Bateman's big dumb head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, like, so, and she's, like I said, she's the through line of this movie. What well, because she's the hot girl, so it makes sense that they advertise her as being in the movie. Sure. But, Did, did you um, think she was good? I mean, she was... What a, did, she was, well, what'd you think? I don't know. She So she was a con artist. She played that up all right. She kind of swung and played, you know, the you know twinkle in her eye, getting getting all the guys to sort of bleh, 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 you know yeah. droop their tongue out like a cartoon character type of thing. I don't know what the hell she was. What was the point of the movie other than just to, as a plot device to just? I feel like, like like ten minutes of her was cut out of the movie. I believe that because I don't know anything about her other than that she's a con artist and apparently she lives in. Six different places she's on the run. Yeah, like, yeah. what's her motivation or whatever. Yeah, it didn't... I mean, it didn't really matter. I will say this of Mike Judge. He usually has, like, one quality female character, and then the rest are like, eh, okay. Yeah, as you'd say, Jennifer Aniston in Office Space, yeah. and Maya Rudolph, of course, <laughs> the accuracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's not a slam against him, it's just that he, he, his themes, like, the things he's most interested in, tend to tie back to masculinity. Definitely. And yeah. I think that's why he has such, like, a boner for workplace comedies, 
is because workplace comedies are all about competition and being the best. And all this, like, and both repressed and exacerbated masculinity constantly right. butting heads, yeah. Right, and, like, trying to live the life you want versus the life you have. And those are all very, like, like masculine themes. And so it's not that, like, female characters don't fit into that. It's just that they're... They... I, me, personally, like, I don't go to work and I'm like, how am I going to compete with everyone else today, you know? But that's, I mean, that might have to do with where I work. But Maybe that's just his blind spot, though, because I'm thinking I'm thinking of Silicon Valley, and, I mean, he has one consistent female character, and that's Monica, who's, like, this consultant. So there's, like, you know, the four the or five guys. guys. So, yeah, yeah T.J. Miller and Tom Middleston, and then uh, Camille Nijani and whoever the hell Frog's name is. Um, Isn't Zach Woods on it? Zach Woods is in there, too. Yeah. Oh, and I then there's Zach Monica, Woods. who's just, like, the... She comes in, she pops in for about five minutes, and there's, like, the will-they-won't-they they kind of with Tom Middleston's character, and then that's about it. There's, like, one other female character who uh, is, like, this weird hedge fund manager who is uh, Monica's boss. And, like, that's it. You're right. The whole thing just circulates around dude. So maybe that's just a blind spot of... of yeah, okay. and that's okay, because, like, he's writing what he knows, and he writes really well. Mm -hmm. It's just that, like, yeah, there's, uh... Yeah. So for me, like, going back to your original question, Mila Kunis, oh. I thought she was fine. It's just that I felt like her character didn't really matter. If yeah, she when was you say she's a plot device, that's a pretty perfect... Could yeah, you have she... had anyone else be, be, be that character? I think Jennifer yeah. Anderson could have been that character, I think. Lots of lots of comedic actresses, or, you know, actors or female, could have done that. But you could too. almost say the same thing about Kristen Wiig's character too. Yeah, but unlike Kristen Wiig's character, I don't really know that there's much that a, a great actor could have done to beef up the con artist role, Sydney's role. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't like if Ka if Catherine Hahn was the the wife instead of Kristen Wiig. I'm not. I love Catherine. Hahn. I love. Catherine. I'm not sure Catherine that she Hahn has the be, subtleties. Yeah. I think she's a little more bombastic, which is why I love her. But. Yeah. It would yeah. be it would be definitely a different type of dynamic. She's pretty. She's pretty subtle on transparent. Have you ever watched? Transparent? I have not. Okay. Watched her. Well, before five months, before we move on to the third act, you want to talk about? I wrote this down, and I wonder if there's anything else you guys see in it. But I was wondering what you guys thought of the, the differing portrayals of whoring in terms of Brad being a whore versus Cindy being a whore. If we are extending whoring to the Joe Bluth definition of a trick is something a whore does for money. Uh, <laughs> 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 because essentially, if, by that definition, they're both whores. And Brad yeah. is portrayed as, like, the stereotype of a whore. Like, just dumb. I think, just to answer, yeah. to, to flat out, like, answer your question, nobody else in the movie knows that Mila Kunis is a whore. Yeah. So, that's why that's not really brought up. No, I'm saying, what do you think of the difference in the portrayals? Well, I think it's portrayed that way because every other character in the movie, except for the audience doesn't know that Mila Kunis is a whore. I know, I'm saying that's, you're talking about the plot. I'm saying in terms of, like, the act of constructing their characters, Brad is constructed to be this very stupid person, and Cindy is portrayed very smart, very yeah. smart okay. active con artist who has constantly multiple things going, so that, like, if one thing falls through, there's another thing she can capitalize on, or she can disappear, and she can go, she can basically convince anyone to give her anything, whereas Brad... Okay, uh, well, then yeah. I think that, to argue the point a little further, I think that the defining word of Milkunas would not be whore. I think she uses sex 
to con people, and her main descriptor is con. But I'm not even sure that Brad is using his his sex to further himself. I mean, that's what that's, well, I mean, sure. that's what he, yeah. I mean, he is a he is a an associate he, through Dean, but through, through Ben Affleck. He's right? also called a whore. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah that's so, right. Yeah. Ben Affleck does yeah. just directly say, "Well, because he's a whore." Yeah, <laughs> sure point. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's just. That's the it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, I just yeah. wanted it's something to think about. I just remembered that Mila Kunis is in Black Swan. Yep, she's really good in that. I think she did that after this. You figure, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Team, okay, l- last. And part. now she's married to what's his face, Ashton Kutcher, and they didn't they have twins? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Good well, for they'll be, her. They'll be very pretty, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so, wh- tall. <laughs> so tall. One other actor, uh, we didn't, we haven't really talked about Jason Bateman's performance. Yeah, I again, I said this at the beginning of this. I like Jason Bateman. Arrested Development is my shit. Uh, and he plays that character really, really well. He has a tendency to play that character a lot. Yeah, he I always liked, plays that character. I liked Horrible Bosses. I didn't like Horrible Bosses too because he just got grading on me. Yeah. you know, and he plays like I'm trying to think of times he doesn't play that character. Like he's kind of a little bit different, like an off-speed pitch in Juno when he's like yeah. the kind of creepy. But he he still yeah, is like the he same. He is kind of creepy in Juno. Yeah. My, my favorite thing that Jason Bateman does is uh, when he's just sort of like talking. Talking to himself, just kind of looking <laughs> yeah. down. My, especially when, so this is the, the penultimate, the, the, not, the, this is the, the, the pivotal scene, I think, when he goes in and he's talking about, you know, oh, we've got this, you know, the guy got his ball shot off and he's just, you know, he's talking like existentialism about balls. They're just, they're just hanging there. That's my favorite thing that yeah. he does. Outside of that, you know, the controlling thing, control freak, he's, he plays that middleman or, you know, straight man. Pretty well. It, when he explodes, that's okay. Especially like you know, like you guys want to run this thing. You know, you might have to shove your balls into a door, but you can have the company type of thing. That's fine. I think lots of people can do that. I think Adam Sandler can do that. Too. Yeah. Oh, you want to shove my balls? <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, but like, I, I, I mean, is Jason Bateman typecast? Yes. <laughs> well, I think he he definitely. I would say he yeah, just but has he's a had a successful. Yeah. yeah, I think he has a limited range, but I think also he found his sweet spot and he's had success with it. Yeah, and I think that's really what's so amazing about Arrested Development was just that Arrested Development was him finding his perfect role, and it happened to be very very well written and in like an an atmosphere where it was basically the, the way it was filmed. Uh, allowed them to like improvise and explore a lot more and so he just got really comfortable into the character and if you've ever listened to the commentaries for rest development he is like meaner than he is on the show like he's really not like he's not as mean as david cross like they're equally mean on commentary when jason bateman turns up the mean i love him like yeah that's what i'm saying he's like existentialism about balls or that way that he talks about those types of things i think those are great i would really i I would really like to see his directorial debut movie, Bad Words. I saw that movie. Was it good? Uh, he was a, kind of an asshole in that, and he, uh, Catherine Hans in that movie. Actually. Yeah. That's, that's his foil in it. Um, it was okay. I think x was better. Um, okay. Maybe it's because Mike Judge made it. Um, I, it's, it was decent. It's fun. It, it's, it's a... Saturday afternoon while I'm doing laundry in the middle of summer and I don't want to watch golf and uh, I don't want to nap okay. type of movie. Yeah. It's, okay. it's passable. It's okay. <laughs> it's one of those things you don't have to look at. You can just hear it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Okay. The the, the idea, oh, he, he basically, if you don't know bad words, I think basically he's, uh, 
he, it turns out that his dad is the person who runs the spelling bee, and so he basically wants to try to fuck his dad over by being an adult who wins the spelling bee because there's not a clause that says he can't or something like that. <laughs> Which is kind of a funny premise, but the way it plays out is like, it's a funny premise, and that's about it. Yeah. But okay. him banging Catherine Hahn's kind of funny, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, Catherine Hahn. She's so great. What were some other things I liked about this movie? I liked how Ben Affleck was, like, twice, two or three times came back about, like, so... So I made Brad my gigolo, and I'm kind of pimping him out. Where am I going to get the funds? <laughs> Where am I going to get reimbursed for the services I've rendered? And I also like how... Yeah, Tra- and he was like, I want 10%. Well, 10% is 20 bucks. Like, <laughs> Should I give that to you? Really? Bucks, 220 bucks. Yeah, I, you for that. I like that he's hurting so bad for 20 bucks. Well, he's a drug dealer. So this is one of the things I thought. Like, okay, he's pushing these drugs, and he's he, like really pushing these drugs on Jason Bateman, and he realizes that you know if he had to learn something at the end of the movie, well, maybe he shouldn't give drugs to Jason Bateman but like there's a point where after Jason Bateman you know realizes oh shit like I just hired this gigolo he calls Ben Affleck and Ben Affleck's in his car and he's like oh thank god you're, you're awake I, I think there's something that was cut out of this movie too but he's like oh thank you god you're awake can you call Brad and so Ben Affleck while on the phone pulls up another phone like he's got two phones and oh that person doesn't have a phone at this at this moment like there might be like a, a I'd like to know more about Dean like does he have a <laughs> yeah. burner I mean, he's got a flip phone and he's got, like, a Blackberry, and I wanted to talk about that, too. Like, this is... There's a couple times when people are like, oh, just call information. This is 2008. Google or, existed. Or call waiting. <laughs> oh, my God. The oh, call, call, call waiting. waiting the call waiting that got him punched in the face. Like, <laughs> Well, also that he wanted to uh, bang his girlfriend or whatever. But. Well, and that guy, the, the, the guy that they do... That Ben Affleck and uh, Jason Bateman do drugs with is, like, such a seedy guy. <laughs> like, beyond just, like, another stoner, he's like really intense and scary and he's well he's got an affliction t-shirt man i'm afraid of everybody who's gonna look yeah. t-shirt and he's and he somehow knew uh he knew mila kunis cindy through something it's that set up that they know each other before so sh- he is already the type of person who'd be in the same type of circle where a con artist could get to him yeah, oh and be- what we're talking about that guy i wrote down two things uh from that scene you guys mentioned the I don't know what kind of person doesn't have call waiting, which Jason Bateman's out-of-touch character says. <laughs> but there's also, on that same note, during that scene, uh, Jason Bateman is asked to describe Cindy, and he describes her as working-class looking. For sure. What does that mean? <laughs> slutty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Slutties. But it's just like, both of those both of those moments in that scene, I was like, wow, there's like a clear element of like class differentiation happening in this and there's like you talking about that out him being out of touch is so perfect because yeah there is this disconnect between the world of the boss and the world of the employees like the movie is making like i wrote down it seems like this movie is trying to compare the responsibility of being a boss with the freedom of basic employment and obviously office space he already made he doesn't believe that like you having a job is the most wonderful thing in the world, but he's comparing like the inanities of a boring or soul crushing job are nothing compared to the onslaught of problems that come when not just you're a boss, but you're the boss of your company that you own and everything comes back to you Mm -hmm. and everything depends on you. So when there's a little tiff between, you know, the the new guy who is not doing his job super fast and someone's like, Oh, if he's not doing his job, I'm not going to do my job. I hated that lady. Yeah. I watched every time. I just, 
That yeah. actress is so good at that. She's on yeah. the Mindy Project and as the Donnie same Darko. character. And Donnie Darko. Yeah. No, Mindy Project, she's at least, she's the goofy, likable, crazy lady. Yeah, but she never works. Yeah, yeah, true. She, like, actively tries not to work. And then Donnie Darko, she's, like, the bitch she's, character. Yeah, she's the, <laughs> isn't she the health teacher? Yeah, she's the one that's, um, <laughs> I severely doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion or whatever the line is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's, that's, that's her typecasting. Is yeah. like, uh, well, and she's in the office lady. as Dwight's like old nanny who he brings to the you're dinner right, party. You're right. <laughs> Gotta, that is a really great cameo for her. Yeah, she always gets cast as like the weirdo older lady. But fun facts: she, I read the AV Club did an interview with her where they just went over her whole career. She's the sweetest lady in the world. She's like, like. Like your grandma. <laughs> she's just like, I had so much fun working her, on that picture. Yeah, and, her name yeah. is Beth Grant. If anyone listening wants to look her up, I, I you totally definitely believe, know what she looks like. I totally believe that. I still hate her. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm she's so good it. at that role. She, yeah, she stopped working. Because the guy is too slow. I'm not going to work. And then Jason Bateman and Sh- and Shep or whatever have you to step in. You hate her because all of us have worked with her before. Mm-hmm. I have definitely worked with a woman like that yeah. before. Where it's like, it's everyone's fault, everyone else's fault but mine. Right. I didn't do anything wrong. She's, I'm doing my job. She's casually racist. Yeah. And then yeah. and then she is the reason why that whole, I mean, it's a the confluence of happens, events, but yeah. she's the reason why the accident happens. Uh, those, well, those, he's not those working, Hispanics I'm not working. are sitting there chit-chatting, I'm not yeah. going to do my job. So she folds her arms and just yep. lets the whole thing happen. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you guys a question. What do you think Mike Judge feels about drugs and drug usage? I think it's, at least in regards to the movie, it seems like it's a class thing. Like, it's not necessarily he's critiquing it as much as suggesting, like, the world of people like Jason Bateman and Susie, but also Dave Koechner or J.K. Simmons, all of, like, the upper echelon people. And you can also extend this to, like, Joe Adler, too. All of, like, the people who are in control, that's not their world. But at least Jason Bateman, he knows a guy, but it's clearly, like we said, with the scene where he goes to the the friend's apartment and they're doing drugs. Like, there's a clear difference in the reality. And simple things Jason Bateman says where he's just, like, talking turn out to be really offensive. Where it's, like, it's... I don't necessarily think it's there to be like, oh, drugs are bad. Because, I mean, they are portrayed as going poorly for Jason Bateman, but not that poorly. I mean, I would say the the scene where he takes that, like, comically large bong hit and then is, like, sitting there stoned is is pretty accurate to what, like, being high the first time is like, where you're just, like, sitting in a room laughing every once in a while. (laughs) Or imagining someone's laughing. (laughs) I think you're right. I mean, I'm I'm trying to... like reaching in my brain about office space, I don't think there really really any drugs other than just like the hypnotizing. But yeah, yeah. but that's the thing. Like there's it, it, the way that it's portrayed is kind of accurate, but it also seems like like Mike Judge has never done marijuana. Yeah. And it's like we've got all this sitar music and stuff. Like <laughs> yeah, I, I liked like how this. when Jason Bateman got stoned, they did the like liquid yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with the screen. Yeah. But the music while he's stoned, and not just the sitar weirdness, you know, which is because obviously, apparently, the Beatles influence everybody. But um, <laughs> not, the music there is like the same music when uh, Ron Lemmings' character is hypnotized, just like this. Yeah. Sort of like vibe. Out of it. Out of yeah. the music. Okay, so 
Disconnected. Then, then would you say in that case, if you put it in that comparison, it, drugs are kind of more like a deus ex machina, where it's like, because of the variety of drugs, they're just like, well, how do we get this man who would never do this to do this? Well, And, and Jason, that's exactly the function of the hypnotism in office space. It's like, we can't, there's no literal thing that we can just say, like, this happened, and so in reaction he's going to do this. It's something that changes his mindset, because that's the only way that these people will do something Is there different. any drug use out in Silicon Valley? I would imagine there is. All the time. Yeah. T.J. Miller is known for his pot smoking. On the show, yeah. All the time. Yeah. Although I don't think they treat that as I guess other people sometimes smoke pot um, I, gosh T.J. Miller's character I, I, I feel like he sells it like like he, he smokes pot all the time he's always walking around with a bong in the house because he, he owns Aviato or he own, it's the whole thing yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, if you haven't seen Silicon Valley I, it's, it'd be, it, I do need to watch it's it so great just as watch someone who works at a startup I'm just worried it's too relevant. It, <laughs> it won't probably. be funny because it hits home too hard. <laughs> like, true. do they have unlimited PTO? Um, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I just gotta get to the point. I I, I want to see it so I can finally see the uh, equation for Jack and everyone. Mean off. jerk time. Yeah, that one. And the scene where the two horses are fucking in the background. <laughs> I've heard about those scenes. I want to know the context for those scenes. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. I forgot to put the horses fucking. I paid a lot of money. I want to see these two horses fuck. Okay, all right. What? That's kind of how that scene happens. Yeah. yeah. All right. I have just one more thing I want to bring up, and then if you guys have more stuff, you can take over. The scene where Mike Judge has his cameo, where he shows up as Jim, who's just one of the factory workers. It drives me crazy just for one little detail, which is that Jim never appears in any sequence of the movie in any way. Not in the background, not even just like he's in the back of a shot and turns or something, or like someone walked past him. He never appears. And then suddenly there's this scene where Mike Judge cameos as the guy who gets everyone else to do something. And it was like, is he, he is his own deus ex machina for that scene. Where he like, there was no other character he wrote who was smart enough to initiate that. So he was like, shit, I... Yeah, why do you think he like, picked, he did that role? Or why didn't he at least just give himself one other sequence to show up in? So, like it like, so it's movie. like, okay, that character, Jim... He is saying this. That's what Jim uh, stays quiet, yeah. but now Jim's going to talk. It's like, oh, Jim has teleported into the movie to create a union, <laughs> and then when the union fails, he is, he returns to his home planet. What's funny though is the way that he talks and like with that ridiculous mustache. He kind of yeah. reminds me of Scruffy from Futurama. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, maybe all T.J. Miller had this idea about about you know unionizing type of thing. I don't know. I, I guess I'm, again, I'm trying to compare him to Office Space, where he's the manager of Jennifer Aniston. Although I guess in that he's he there he's the employer and he's you know he's the man pre, you know, pressing yeah. down on the pieces of flair at yeah. Chashkis. He's the manager. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh man. Okay. That might change the way you see that movie. Now. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's the manager who, who talked about the, the pieces about of the flair. flair and, yeah. So there he's the man oppressing. Whereas this one he I know, can totally see it. Yeah. Whereas here he represents just one of the factory workers just fighting against the man. So yeah. I don't know. May, maybe he just wants wanted to put himself in the way that these movies portray whatever they portray he just maybe he to needed to like renew his sag yeah. credit 
credits or something. I was just looking. He's been in some things. Maybe so he's just been voicing things. Yeah, maybe he was like, uh oh, my health insurance is running out. Better get my SAG credits. He must have so many. He must have so much in residuals alone from King of the Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh hell yeah. Well, and now Silicon Valley is killing it. Yeah, it's a really, it's getting really popular. Good. He only can succeed on well, television. Well, I wonder, I wonder <laughs> well, if he gets family. any. Yeah. I wonder if he gets any royalties from Daria. I, I it sounds know. like, from what you described, that sounds like he wouldn't. He probably just yeah, sold he kind of like bartered it yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I don't think he's hurting for money. No. <laughs> oh, I found out that the pawn shop that uh, Mila Kunis sells that guitar at is the same pawn shop from. Pulp Fiction. Oh, really? Yeah. Now that I think back on it, 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 it does look a lot like it. I mean, so, yeah, it's, it's it must be just like a set in California. I also found out that Jason Bateman is married to Paul Anka's daughter. Paul Anka's a singer? Yeah, but who's, is it someone famous? No, or? her name's Amanda Anka. She's been in, like, a couple things. Actually, she's been in, like, every Jason Bateman movie. Yeah. But... She is best friends with Jennifer Aniston, so I That's, wonder. No, that, they've done like five movies. They were in Office Christmas Party yeah, together. Yeah, they've done and a they were ton in, of movies. They were, and it was still one of the absolute worst movies I've ever seen. The Switch. They, <laughs> they did that together. <laughs> Never saw that movie. Oh, did not God. have interest. Yeah, it's the type of movie where Jeff Goldblum can't even land a joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's that wow. visible. Yeah. All right. Well. Do you guys have any other things you want to add? No, I'm out. I'm out. All right. Well, I guess we're going to move into our teachable moments. Shit. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Do you have a teachable moment ready? If you guys need it, I can I can improv and go for one. Yeah, you go and we'll be right. Right. Yeah, improv. Okay, well. Improv master. I guess my teachable moment is, obviously, we have are very liberal, and we tend to talk about uh, things in terms of their liberal politics or the failure to meet liberal standards so on and so forth and this movie is a really good example of there it is possible to do something that isn't specifically progressive but is still not offensive <laughs> it is a, a totally enjoyable uh universe more or less I don't want to say universal. It's kind of tough because I this do. This movie is not offensive. It's, it's not offensive, but it's not universal because it, there is there are so many people who can watch this who could not relate to a majority of it. Of it, but there's no reason for you to watch this and be offended by that difference. It's it's kind of this comes up a lot online, but I, I think it was the Francis Ha problem because after Francis Ha came out, which is a, an amazing movie, it's one of Noel Baumbach's best movies. But it's a movie about a young-ish hipster woman who is kind of just in between apartments and has, like, a fight with her best friend and is just trying to find her place in, like, her post-collegiate world. And it's really, really good and really charming, but there is so much vitriol that came out about it because of people who are like... I'm not white, and so I couldn't ever live that sort of, like, privileged existence where I could just go couch to couch or not know where my job is. And I 100% understand that frustration, but the movie doesn't exist. Francis Hot and Extract don't exist to, like, try to make these white people's problems, these grand, important things that it's like, oh, feel really bad for these characters to get to do this. They present a certain type of lifestyle in a fairly straightforward and 
accurate way and they don't make any big judgments on the world it's all about the characters and the way the characters deal with it and the reasoning behind the way the characters deal with it so it is possible to make a white people movie i guess is ultimately my point that isn't overtly excluding somebody or isn't like exuding its privilege or things like that it is possible to bridge that gap and mike judge didn't <laughs> didn't work overtime this isn't like a 50 million dollar movie where he's like I, I spent years writing the perfect screenplay that wouldn't offend anybody right. it's like this is just like well idiocracy didn't do well but i got another chance to make a movie here's something i could do it's the flip side of something else i've already done actually and it was the opposite idiocracy did really well and that's why he could make this it movie. did really well yeah even though it didn't show in any theaters really or? yeah how does that, man, I don't have to look into that. DVD sales, maybe? That must be it, yeah. I mean, that's what propelled Office Space. Office Space was, yeah. was notoriously one of the famous cult movies, right? Yeah, I, I was under the impression. Yeah, but Office Space, when it came out, did not do really well. And then Idiocracy, uh, a after, like, um, after Beavis and Butthead, he wanted to do the companion piece to Office, Sp Office Space, but uh, nobody wanted to fund it. And so he came up with Idiocracy, and everybody was like, yep, we'll fund that. And then because that did well, he was able to make Extract. All right, well, cool. I mean, I'm And because King of the Hill did yeah. well, too. Well, so I guess, yeah, just to wrap up my fairly rambling and all-over-the-place point, yeah, it is possible to present white problems, especially white problems that tie into class and privilege, in a way that isn't essentially condescending to someone else. And I think this movie does a really good job of it, and it's really rare. We're, I'm always keeping an eye out for it, and I very rarely come across these kinds of movies. So uh, you, if, if nothing else, it is a good, funny movie. You won't be bored by this movie, but if you watch it trying to look for some specific subtext, I would say look for that. Yeah, I agree. I think, that, I think that's a good point. I, outside of that, I don't think this movie is... I don't even I think it's portraying that I don't even think it's trying to say anything no yeah and that's maybe the beauty of the movie it's an original movie that's not it's, a, it's not terribly derivative uh, it's not a big you know banger explosive movie and it's not terribly like uh, like we were talking garbage about Judd Avatar's movie it's <laughs> not like it's not a, a series of uh, TV episodes that are strung together it's <laughs> yeah. not a bunch or of or riffing yeah it's not just a bunch of random it's yeah. it's yeah. decently written out scenes decently acted and just it's a nice story it's a little capsule it's it sometimes doesn't hurt to have just a nice story yeah, yeah. Kind of, that's kind of funny yeah yeah I agree uh is it my turn now yep oh okay so not really a teachable moment but I want to encourage everyone to explore the lesser-known works of filmmakers and actors that you like. Because sometimes you find a real gem. And there you go. That's it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, we only watched this because... Well, I only watched this because I knew who Mike Judge was. Yeah, and we were, for whatever reason, we were burning through his movies again and i was like we just watched office space well, and 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 I was i'm like, also hey. thinking about how we paulo and i just watched the documentary de palma which is about brian de palma and brian de palma was the first director that i went through and watched all of his movies and it was very it was a very worthwhile experience and so now we've tried to do that with some other directors and actors that we really like and 
it's for the most part really worked out. That's that's a pretty good way. I think that like you you if you see an artist an auteur that you know comes up with you know one or two things that you like, there's a good chance that yeah they might not all be hits, but you can kind of see how they build to a specific thing. Yeah. Well, and last year I finally knocked off all of the Stanley Kubrick movies I hadn't seen, and we just watched um, Francis Ford Coppola. The guy who directed all of the Godfather movies and Apocalypse Now, and God, what else did he direct? I mean, he did Dracula in the yeah. Early 90s. Well, we just watched. He's his... a director responsible for Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> he's related to him at least. Well, yeah, I mean, um, he's respon- He's fully responsible for Sofia Coppola. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. We just watched the movie that he directed that basically put him in director jail <laughs> called One from the Heart, which is a musical, and it was uh, pretty good. By the way, that's not his first musical. No? He has a musical called Finian's Rainbow starring, uh, what's his name? The guy from, um, I want to say Fred Astaire? Uh, it stars Fred Astaire. Starring Fred Astaire? And it's like an Irish musical. How weird. It's from the 60s. It's before he Weird. So yeah, not even his first, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> One from but yeah, anyway, when you, if you find like a director you really like, like, I'm just going to pick a random current example, but the guy who did Looper, um, Ryan like, Johnson, Ryan Johnson yeah. he made a really, 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 really great movie called Brick. That, like, nobody has seen. And it's so good. I mean, the lead is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's so good. Um, so just explore the works of people who you you like. Well, I promise I will see Ryan Johnson's next movie, also known as Star Wars 7. So, yeah. <laughs> or, sorry, 8. I'm yeah. all over it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to see it, too. I'm very happy that he's going to get Star Wars money to fund whatever he gets to do next. Yeah, because he's, he's a great storyteller. He's one of those people who should be given a lot of money. Yeah. And I love all of his Breaking Bad episodes because he did Ozymandias and he did Fly. Like a lot of the most like visually exciting episodes of Breaking Bad he yeah. was responsible for. Also, I want to go back and say that I did not like Looper, but I do really <laughs> like Ryan Johnson. Yeah, Gordon Levitt, Joseph Gordon Levitt movie. Well, I think then, if nothing else, what this has taught you is that you guys should check out Silicon Valley. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to. Yeah, definitely. All right, do you have a teachable moment? My teachable moment is that it's a lot more helpful if you just glom onto your friends' as teachable moments and just sort of <laughs> help develop Yeah, he, yeah. I, he just echoed and added on to your teachable moment. All right, okay. Yeah, if you want to go with that, sure. It's just I wasn't sure because we, we always glom onto each other's. But mm. uh, we'll hold you to that next time. Next time you're on, we're going to make good. you do a full teachable moment. Uh-oh. But um, if that's it, then... He taught uh, us a lot of things about research during this Yeah, story. that was pretty amazing. You were the first guest who's done that level of research. Where it's like, that's exactly Way the type of shit. Way to set a precedent. That's exactly the type of shit I want people to be doing I'm committed, okay? <laughs> and because you're committed, we are committed to having you back. Oh, yeah. Cool. You're definitely going to be awesome. <laughs> well, thank right. you. But uh, yeah, this has been The Secret Cinema. I'm Paolo. I'm Carrie. And I'm Will. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Will. Thanks. The Secret Cinema is produced and edited by Paolo Caron. All theme songs and original music are written and performed by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples are taken from the film featured on this week's episode. All logos and artwork are created by Carrie Chafee. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at Carrie Saw This, 
and see more of her artwork at www.carriechafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at www.vimeo.com slash paolocarone, or read more of his ramblings about film at www.letterbox.com slash paoloerasmus. Follow The Secret Cinema on Instagram at Secret Cinema Podcast, on Twitter at Covert Celluloid, or like us on Facebook. The Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast, and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of U.S. copyright law. The Secret Cinema is a product of Larry Leahy Productions. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.